This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. How are we realistically going to cut our water use in the face of this 23-year mega drought? Federal officials have set a February 1st deadline for the Colorado River Basin states to deliver a plan, and it's still very unclear what that's going to look like. So today, Colorado Sun reporter Michael Booth is giving us a closer look at some really cool projects around the metro area that could point the way to a more water-conscious future. Today is Thursday, January 26th, 2023. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Michael Booth, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Good morning, Bree. How are you doing? Great. So we're talking water. Um, this has been an issue that sort of, I don't know, it feels like one of the biggest stories of the year for Colorado. And so you've written a couple stories on on different aspects of water, water conservation and, and things like that. And so I'd like to really start there. Aurora is doing something really innovative with their wastewater. Tell me about this new project. The cities that are trying to conserve water um, are also doing it because it's cheaper, as Aurora puts it, to use the water you already own over again than it is to try and go out and buy new water on the market, which can sometimes cost $20,000 an acre foot. So that's a lot of money and people can't afford to pay that themselves and the city can't afford to subsidize it that much. So they're trying to reuse the water. So the method that Aurora uses that the federal government calls innovative and everybody should try to be repeating. The water that Aurorans use when they turn on the tap for brushing their teeth or washing the dishes, flushing the toilets, works its way down into the wastewater system that Aurora has, and then eventually works its way down through various pipes and drainages into the metro wastewater system on the South Platte. So Aurora lets its water go down the river a couple of dozen miles to between Brighton and Fort Lupton. And under the river there, they have built this very complex well system that has these radial arms that go out underneath the river and underneath the gravel bed. And the water, some of the water seeps down from the river through the gravel bed, gets cleaned up along the way naturally, and then down into these wells that kind of vacuum water out, take it to a nearby place where some of the water is then poured over the ground again and is shipped through a pipeline 30 miles south to the water treatment plant, the final water treatment plant that Aurora has uh, next to Aurora Reservoir. And there it gets cleaned up just like any water would that Aurora needs to use with ultraviolet and a couple of other processes to take out all of the particulates and the taste and the smell and any bacteria and is mixed with clean, pristine mountain water that has run down the mountains into Aurora's different reservoir systems and then shipped out again into pipelines um, for people to turn on their taps and use all over again. 
So that's the complex and very, to me, fascinating uh, without you know getting too far to the deep end of the pool. But to me, it's fascinating <laughs> that you would go through that much just to reuse the water. Yeah. And that's what I want to know is like, is Aurora doing something with this like sort of extra filtration through the riverbed? Is this something that Aurora just decided to do? Is this something other municipalities are doing? Like, do you know the origin of this sort of process? This idea of trying to use the water you've already got when limited resources really hamper what you do all across Colorado has been around for a while. Uh, as you see, as you drive around your different metro areas, you see signs that say not using potable water, but they're sprinkling it on lawns. Um, so they're using water that has not been completely cleaned up to drinkable standards, but is perfectly fine to spray on a golf course or uh, a city lawn or a city playing field. And so it took a while to get people used to the idea of drinking water that has been used before. Sure. But it, there's sort of a long-term publicity campaign to get people more used to that idea, not just go, ew, not going to do that, uh, and realize that they have to trust engineering, they have to trust public health, and that Laura doesn't lower its drinking water standard in order to do this. They have very high standards and they meet those with this water. And yes, many metro areas around Colorado are now trying to figure out how to take advantage of Aurora's idea that the water you already own is always going to be cheaper than trying to create a new pipeline or make another major dam and diversion from someone else's river basin. So this is called the Prairie Waters Project. And the federal government took notice of what Aurora was doing and, and gave them $5 million to expand this. Is it something Denver could think about doing like in the near future? Aurora gets a lot of credit from different water people for being advanced in the way it tries to conserve water and reuse water. Denver also has been uh, in the past award-winning in terms of trying to limit the amount of water people use for their landscapes and for their gardens and uh, continues to experiment with different recycling and reuse. So I think everybody's water agency will be doing this in some form or another. So people need to be ready for that. And the reason that the federal government, I think, kind of did this interesting dog and pony show was because we have some big deadlines coming up in Colorado. This water is, as you said, going to be in the news this entire year and beyond. But on February 1st, the seven states in the Colorado basin, where there are 40 million people living who all rely on both Colorado River water and Colorado River generated power, it must come up with a plan to cut up to 20 to 25% of their use this year and next year because drought has taken so much water from the river. And so you need to cut now. No longer just plan for it in the future and have a conference where you talk about what's happening 20 years down the road. It's got to happen now. So those states are supposed to deliver some ideas by February 1st. So I'm not going to disagree. Absolutely. We can always do better at conserving water, especially in urban areas. But we also know that agriculture uses like 80% of Colorado's water and metro area water users are still the ones being asked to cut back. So does something like the Prairie Water Project in Aurora, will it have an impact when we're not the main users of water? You know what I mean? Sure. No, I understand. And that's a really good question. The idea of a city trying to conserve water instead of buying up agricultural water is partly a practical thing. Agricultural water has gotten very expensive. Uh, farmers and towns resist being dried up for a lot of different reasons that we can all understand. But it's also a social reason and a political reason. 
you have to, in order to advance this, we need agreement in Colorado among the different users and you need cooperation and you need everybody buying in and you need people sharing the pain a little bit. Um, agriculture knows that they're going to have to give up a lot of resources. They're going to have to sell their water rights, but they're also, they also hear back every time from rural users and from legislators saying, well, what are you people in the city doing to do your share? You are, you have a lawn that's enormous. Do you need a football field sized <laughs> lawn in the suburbs of Colorado? In Denver, do you need Kentucky bluegrass and do you need to water it? Uh, bluegrass and landscape takes up 50% of the water that a city uses. So the cities are saying, yes, we can contribute. We should. So that's the idea of the federal government coming out with an assistant secretary of the interior, which is a big position, endorsing with a $5 million check an expansion of Aurora's project and saying, yes, do more of this and every other city take note and you should all be doing this. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. Let's switch gears and talk about the other side of this water conversation, which is like, how could we or can we or are we helping clouds make more water? Um, Michael, can you tell me about cloud seeding? Like, what is it? How does it work? Absolutely. It's everywhere in Colorado. That's the really interesting thing that we found out while reporting on the story. So cloud seeding, the way it works in modern times is that you can't make clouds or, or rain or snow out of a completely blue sky. But when you have clouds forming, when you've got a storm coming over the horizon, you can shoot these tiny little crystals, silver iodide crystals, or drop them from an airplane into that cloud and the reason it's called seeding is because it that tiny little particle allows ice 
and water to condense around that. And therefore, it gets heavy enough to drop from the sky. So instead of that cloud passing overhead and ruining the powder day that you had planned in Vail, you know, two days from now, it stays there longer and drops more snow than it would have otherwise had you not done the cloud seeding. And the people who are promoting it say that their studies tell them that they can get 10 to 15% more precipitation out of a given storm that's passing overhead with cloud seeding. Michael, I'm going to be honest with you. That sounds a little too good to be true. Not everybody agrees that it's that much. We talked to some experts who said, we've seen other studies that take a broader view in more basins and more states over more time. And it may only be one to 2% in some cases. So they're saying that's a lot of money to spend on a one to 2% increase. On the other hand, when you're comparing it to $20,000 an acre foot for water, um, and an acre foot only serves two to four people for a year, and it really isn't that much money to spend. It's a fairly reasonable amount if you believe that it's having an impact. So Vail, other ski areas are buying into the system and saying, yes, it's good for us. Yes, you need to fill your reservoirs, but it also, before it gets into the reservoirs, it's covering over our ski slopes and making tourists very, very happy. So we will help pay for it. Arizona and California and Nevada are saying, we know our water comes from you guys in Colorado. Almost all of it up in the mountains starts in Colorado. So yes, we will pay some to help see if we can increase that snowpack and blanket the mountains with 10 to 15% more snow and maybe ease the drought a little bit. So it's happening all over the state. So I I also have to ask... Is it safe to do? Because it does, it feels concerning that maybe we're shooting silver iodide particles into the air to create snow. And then that eventually will become the water that we drink. Like, is that, is that something we should be concerned about? Shooting a new chemical into wilderness areas? What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) I don't know why you would even ask that question. And as one scientist put it, sure, if you took a teaspoon of silver iodide and add it to your coffee, not a good thing. But this, these amounts are so tiny and they're so dispersed that there is no impact. They do track that. Environmental groups have asked this question for a long time, and this does not bother them. This does, they are not raising questions anymore about this. So I guess that leads to the other major question everybody has, and we certainly had, is, well, are you stealing the water from somebody else? Are you really creating new water or... Are we going to get sued or start a war with Nebraska or Kansas or whoever is to the east of us or to the south, wherever that storm was supposed to go? Did we steal all the snow that they were supposed to get later on? And the answer to that is, I guess, a maybe, but nobody's suing at the moment. And I think that, again, if you look to the west, the states that are downstream of us love the program because it might have more water flowing to them downstream. And Kansas and Nebraska and other states have not yet raised a big fuss that we're scraping all the snow out of the sky before it gets to them. But look out, because if you think water law is crazy, cloud law, next frontier. Absolutely could happen. Cloud court, you know, could happen (laughs) in the future. So I want to kind of 
kind of bring these two thoughts together and think about where we go from here. Like we've got efforts to recycle wastewater or reuse our wastewater in better ways. And then we are working on the other side of how do we maybe create more water? Because like, you know, we've talked about it and there's been so much reporting on the Colorado River is our lifeline for so many states. What do we do if it dries up? But are these two things making a dent in this bigger concern about drought? Sure. Well, let me bring those two things together for you as simply as we can. We need more water. Right. You know, it's the, and everybody's trying to find it any way they can. And there is still an ongoing shift in mentality. And so what environmental groups and water agencies who are progressive are trying to say is back to that idea of conserving water. You've already got, there's still a huge amount of room in the system to conserve water rather than finding new water which is expensive and damaging to the environment. And we're still seeing that shift. It requires a lot of engineering, a lot of work by city water agencies, sometimes money. It takes sometimes an act of the legislature or a bill to say, yes, you are allowed to do this and here's a little grant money to do it. So all of these things, um, yes, it's happening because it has to happen. Well, Michael Booth, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. I hope we didn't geek out too much, but it's all <laughs> fascinating and you know, we all need water. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Unionization. Hourly workers at a Boulder Starbucks store voted 13 to 2 in favor of joining the Chicago and Midwest Regional Joint Board of Workers United. This means employees of the Baseline and Broadway location become the ninth Starbucks in Colorado to unionize. And finally, it's our weekly moment of joy. This week, we've got a great one from a listener. Hi, this is Meg from Sunnyside, and something that brings me joy is the Denver Public Library's winter reading. Um, much like you might have a summer reading challenge for kids, every winter the library puts together a list of activities that you can complete to get a small prize. Um, and it's not just reading books, it's things like exploring different ways to use your library card or using different tools to get book recommendations. Um, and I just think it's a great way that the library engages with our community and our Denver Public Library system is not just about lending books, and I think this is a really nice way to stay highlight that. Thanks. I loved hearing and reading all of your joyful Denver moments, and I want to hear more. If you see a neighbor shoveling someone else's walk, or if you hear of someone winning an award, I want to hear about it. Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and you might hear it on the show. That number is 720-500-5418. Again, you can reach the Moment of Joy hotline at 720-500-5418. And speaking of joy, join us for our Friday News Roundup tomorrow for a big announcement about the mayoral election. No, I'm not running, but you don't want to miss it. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Assistant Secretary of the Interior, Tanya Trujillo, about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. I loved hearing and reading all of your... <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> <clears throat> oh, popcorn's like the worst thing to eat before you have to talk.